0: Welcome to the Signal Line Remote Viewing Podcast, a podcast owned and run by Daz Smith from remoteviewed.com, the resource for everything remote viewing. This podcast is dedicated to sharing remote viewing-related interviews, views, news, resources, and much more.
1: But yeah, it's just an open chat, you know, open discussion. Anyone have any comments they want to say, any experiments, any ideas, or just ask any questions from, you know, anyone that's in the in the room with us, really.
2: Uh, I've got a question, but Rich has had his hand up since the beginning, so.
3: Would you like to go first then, Rich? Oh, sure. Thanks, Tom. Um, okay, I guess I had two kind of topics. Um to discuss if you guys are interested. So one, somebody posted on Reddit. Um, I'm pretty sure it also linked to an 8martinis um, magazine article where it discussed remote viewing and then in conjunction using reverse speech. Um, so I was just curious uh, kind of your uh, feelings on that, Daz. And then as a second point, um, I know it's frowned upon uh, within the CRV protocol, uh, but I was kind of curious what people's feelings were in the community and from your personal experience, if you have any, where, uh, you know, it's frowned upon to research the target to validate um, elements in your data that were not provided from the initial feedback. So, maybe you're looking at, oh, actually, the the, the building next door to it had this aspect or that. Um, now, obviously, that's frowned upon from like an analytical perspective because you're providing data uh, to a prospective client or you're looking for something specific. Uh, but I was just curious what people's thoughts were on kind of exploring that more and maybe allowing for that within certain elements.
1: Um, I can't talk too much on the reverse speech because it's not something I've looked into. I've seen uh, examples of it. Um. I'm not sure how much I believe it's uh a, it's use in efficiency myself. For me, it feels a little bit like uh, Simulcra where people see faces and designs when they look at things like tree bark and stuff like that. Um So I don't know. I know there are remote viewers and teams out there that did use it. I think Gail Husik used it for a while. I don't know if she still does.
3: And that's what the article is about.
1: Yeah. Yep. I'm not, but I'm not too sure on that on the, on the research part though to be honest it's good it's good and you can research extra data on your target because you know sometimes your target might just be a feedback photograph and that might not show you enough to validate your information it's just that you have to be careful that you don't go over the top and you try to validate your data that isn't important to what the actual right. target is at the site you know and we've we've all probably did it when we were beginners i know i went out and i you know i was i maybe had a session and i did a structure and went the right structure and i was looking for a metal one so i looked all around just to try to validate my own data for my own peace of mind but you have to be yeah you have to be very careful you don't go down that route uh, And you're always even if you're getting extra information to, to corroborate your data that you're always specifically looking at what the uh the target is only and what the ta- um, what the tasker wanted needed to know. Because even if you're you're finding that yeah, you did describe a shed at the bottom of the garden for a target structure, if it if it provides no value in information to the tasker, then okay, you were slightly on target location wise, but is it really of any specific value? But that's a You know, that's just my my personal viewpoint on it.
3: No, I think I agree too, uh, especially with the reverse speech. That's one of the um, kind of skeptical complaints, I guess you could say, about EVPs, like electronic voice Mm -hmm. phenomenon, where you're just hearing kind of what you want to hear. Actually, also on Reddit, I saw this interesting uh, audio clip where somebody was speaking in English and there was like 12 sentences. And basically whatever sentence you read, you could hear that person say, but it was the exact same sentence. It didn't change at all. It was just how you perceived it changed. So I could definitely see how that could uh, uh, produce uh, some kind of junk data and stuff
1: like that. I mean, if you think it's going to be any value, I could always uh, invite, I think, David Oates on to see if he'll come on and give a demonstration and a a talk or something on it.
3: Oh, I personally would be interested in that. I'm not sold on the idea of reverse speech, but um, No,
1: normally, I'm I'm open to it, but it's not something that I found any value in so far, but I'm, I'm winning to, uh, keep an open mind and be persuaded otherwise.
3: Right. Yeah. Cause I'm curious too, even if you hear kind of what you want to hear or maybe not what you want to hear. So too, maybe that's just your subconscious mind yeah. pulling out from the white noise, something that you actually do need to hear. Um, so maybe there's some validity in that aspect, even if that's not actually what's being spoken in the reverse speech, I feel, but, but yeah, if you wouldn't mind reaching out, I, I would be interested in that.
1: Yeah, I'll reach out to see if he'll come on for an hour or two and uh show some examples and uh have a chat with us about how how effective it is or how it can be used in tandem with with remote viewing, I guess.
3: Yeah. Perfect.
1: Yeah. Thank you. No worries.
0: Hey, Rich, I'll throw something in on the uh feedback. The the one thing you know, interesting uh, I'm I'm not interested in and I'm highly skeptical of reverse speech. One question I've always had does it work in all languages? Yeah. So if Reverse speech, Swahili, how did, you know, uh, so anyways, I'd be curious about that. But on the feedback thing, so when um, Paul gives uh, feedback in class, uh, so when you're monitored by either Paul or his assistant, uh, and then finally you get the feedback, they they have multiple images, not just one. So on the laptop, you can... uh, you you, you you scoot down and they turn the laptop toward you and you can look at several different images from several different vantage points. Okay. Also, if you notice in the target vault, he puts the uh, geographical coordinate. And that is so, you know, if you want to look on Google Earth or, or something like that. But Daz's point is correct. If you start data fitting and basically instruct your pre-conscious that, Oh, just get anything. As long as it's closed, that's what you're going to get, you know? So on that point, the dad's made, I agree, but I don't, um, you know, I was like, I say, as Paul will give you multiple images to to look at from different points of view on the target.
3: That's a good point though, about training your subconscious to kind of be more narrow-minded and focused on what you're looking for.
0: Yeah, I mean and and look like that says all all of us when we're new we're just hoping for something and so we start to look at it and it's like oh yeah you know I got water and look there's a drinking fountain two two doors down probably not the water that you thought you got right so so that's something to be uh, very careful of you you have to be strict you have to train your your perceptual system is very enthusiastic, very excited. If you're interested in something, it might go there. If there's a big noise over here, it might go there. So it's, it's you know, I hate to say this, but it's almost childlike. It's almost got this kind of, yeah, I want to, you know, go view and this. So you just got to gradually over time without punishing it or, or like <laughs> the whip on the horse, you just have to hone your intention that you want the target not a bunch of stuff around the target
3: and and to that point that's something i've always struggled with is having a fine-tuned intention Uh, i can't remember if i brought it up at one point here but uh like if i have an a or b option and the answer is a i'm very strongly in the opposite direction (laughs) so it's like you know i'm consistent but the intention still isn't there and that's something i've still continued to struggle with uh if you do you take time to just repeat for one minute what you're intended, like in a sentence, uh, over and over and over? Or do you have Would I, in that aspect?
0: What I do in that regard, and, and what's interesting, uh, a long time ago, actually before I uh, got back into training, I contacted Dean Radden on, on the topic of intention versus counterintention. Why is it that you intend this and then basically essentially the opposite pops up. He really did. He said, I don't know. That's something that we're all trying to figure out. So the way I do intention is I objectify it. I write it out. And at this point, I only do it on operational sessions where I'll write out for myself, nobody else sees it, get, you know, solve this problem for the client, answer the tasker's question, focus only on the target, and I'll spend, you know, if anything, on operational sessions. I guess you can say that's my cooldown, and it might be anywhere from three to five minutes. I just fill up one eight and a half by eleven, and and so by doing that, you're you're sending a message to your pre-conscious, which it can understand, and as you build that intention. And if you think of, so, so what intention ultimately means is it's, it's something coming from in, and then the word tent kind of means spread out, uh, you know, just like spreading out a tent. So from inside to outside, you're, you're setting your, your will, Your are um, you know, think of the C in, in CRV, you're controlling, directing your uh, perception to do just that. And so I'm sure there's lots of people that have lots of different methods and anybody using something different, like a meditation intention, speak up, but I, I actually write it out um, and I used to do it on my practice sessions, but now I just do it on my operational sessions.
2: Thank you. I'd actually like to ask Gaz what you do for um, like pre-intending before you do a session if anything
1: i used to do uh 20 minute cool down meditations uh and i used to have this mantra i used to say to myself as well but this last year i literally don't do anything i literally make myself a cup of tea or coffee sit down turn the tablet
2: on uh and just do it i don't the fit. reason i'm yeah the reason i'm asking is um I used to do this intention stuff like uh, like Russell was talking about. But more recently, <clears throat> and I am learning CRV now, and I'm finding, you know, if I just close my eyes and ask my mind to keep quiet so perceptions can come through, then the act of letting go, literally just, you know, not caring, seems to be very effective. Um, so sounds like you're doing a little bit of the same almost
1: yeah yeah as i said before i used to have this ritual you know 20 minutes cool down um yeah i used to go through some couple of affirmations um but now yeah i literally you know make myself a drink sit down at the table um or out in the garden you know i I don't care where i do do the rv and you know that's good thing about having a tablet because i can i can just do it anywhere with that and uh yeah just literally i turn on the tablet write down the number and that's it i don't you know i don't think about it anymore i, I do have a ritual of some for some reason i always have to take off my watch i don't like having anything metallic kind of on me i think but that is a, you know that's just ritual purposes only that's just me um so literally by the time i've taken off my watch and put it down by the side of me uh, i'm there i'm just doing, doing doing the rv and i you know i've told people this whole time i listen to music all throughout the entire rv session as well so I have these playlists, you know, RV playlist on my, uh, on my phone. And it's just, it's just, uh, instrumental, uh, music from soundtracks and, and stuff like that. So nothing with any, uh, words, cause I don't want any words to, uh, you know, interrupt what I'm doing. So it's just all, all instrumentals. So I'd literally just, uh, yeah, just take off my watch, turn on the tablet, spark up the music, and then just, I'll just literally go straight into it. Just write the number and I'm, I'm gone mm. with it really.
2: All right. Thank you.
1: On the uh, on the Rich question before, though, um, just to let you know, Rich, um, I recently added 30 targets to the top of my um, target list on Remote Viewed. Um, I'm not going to tell you what the targets are, but each one of the targets is really good because it's, it's an experiment. I tried to see what people thought of them, um, but each one of the 30 targets at the top is 4K drone footage from every angle of, of the target
3: is that in your uh target monkey
1: yeah yeah I'll, I'll post the link here but it's only it's only the top 30 targets the new ones but uh you know so so the uh the feedback for all of those is particularly good because you know it's, it's from every angle above below it sides all from drone and it's all in 4k okay
3: good yeah
1: So, yeah, very rich feedback targets, those.
3: Good. I've been looking for uh, other targets to do. I got burned recently with the target pool. (laughs) where I kind of reset the login, so I never got my feedback. So I'll Uh, definitely be be using that. Thank you.
1: Yeah, no worries. Pablo, you've had your hand up for a while. Would you like to go ahead?
4: Absolutely. Sorry, guys. I'm having a little bit of video glitches. But, well, before going into the actual... The actual question, just would like to add a a couple of comments, one on on what Russell was saying. Do reverse speech works with every language? I don't know. Of course, I'm going to say I don't know, but there's an interesting theory I got from someone that were reviewing some books and found out that the authors, even though books are mostly edited or were mostly edited before, in some cases, they, they found messages you know, after applying some kind of musical logic, you know, spacing and so on, that were actually coherent. And they found messages that probably were subconscious or were either there without intent by the author, but were were able to find it through the book or through the text or whatever. I can't prove it, but read it and was, you know, interesting and apparently works in many languages. So still don't know if it's just... A, glitch in the matrix or something like that but but interesting and the other thing is for what rich was saying that you usually go for the opposite you know result i, I won't say you know like in college one will start okay i usually select the other one which one i want i select the other one and then you pass the test no i, I will not say that but you know something i found out is that if you you tackle things like in art you know how, how you feel you may feel the same thing like fear for two different and completely opposite things, like you know a car is coming on to you you may may freeze, but you 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 are you are you know scared, and your first child is being born you are scared and you are thinking a lot of other things consequences that could be there similar feeling similar response you, you are frozen there, but completely opposite things right so i found out that you know when dancing or painting when you completely let go that left brain side and you are more in the artistic way you know i've seen photographers even jump in places that they were not aware just because they were pursuing the the, the perfect picture and when they realize oh god i jumped here uh what i did do that or something like that so there, there's something that this simon sinek once said and is that our brains are not wired for a negative thing so it's like if i tell you don't look that way you're already looking that way so if you try to frame it more positively more feeling oriented probably may give different results now now back to my actual question Uh,
5: and disclaimer
4: i'm not talking here about modifying any existing protocol i'm just talking about fun experiments so Back after I learned uh, TRB and we were already, you know, used to to stage six, we started trying to do some, some experiments there to see if we could find out any other tool, like, you know, good for uh, ARB or good for anything else. One of the things that, that my teacher was, you know, trying to test were actually, for example, triangulating people or places or something like that. Uh, using something similar to the lottery template, right? Then uh, I know Ed uh, talked about geofix and there was geolock and all all those different things, right? But my my question is open uh, for everyone. Has anyone tested any other thing to see if it works for actual physical location in the map or something like that? That doesn't require 200... Sessions (laughs) Sessions <laughs> like that. Right. you are just curious about it. I can answer some
1: of uh, the location stuff. Uh, I worked with Dick on, on a technique for a while. He used a triangulation method. So he would pick three points on the earth, um, A, B, and C, and he would draw a lot, you know, so he would orientate himself, uh, looking North at like position a and say okay indicate a direction so he had to have a map and he would indicate a direction and then he would draw a line a straight line in that direction then he would move to the b location mm-hmm. and do the same there and then see where the b line would cross and he, again he would do it from the c line and wherever all three lines would cross and, and and make a junction uh the location was allegedly it within that triangulation portion um i haven't used it too much myself uh when I worked for lots of missing person cases, I I did come up with a couple of techniques uh, where I, uh, from the last known position of the missing person, I orientated myself north on, on my sheet of paper. And then I tried to indicate on the sheet of paper our direction, you know, uh, if I'm looking north on the sheet of paper, which would be upwards. I would look, kind of feel around the paper and which which whichever angle felt right, I would draw a line in that direction. And then on that orientation line, I would, you know, north, south, east, or east or west, whatever it would be, I would then try to indicate a, uh, a distance to where that missing person was. And, you know, it, it, for me, because I work in miles, it was usually in miles, you know. Uh, and then I would use that data later on uh, with solid information from the police and from the people we were working with to then look on Google Maps to see if the location fit my description in the in the RV session and those two pieces of information that I just talked about. And that would supply me then with a GPS coordinate, which I could then ha- pass on to that, the handlers. Uh, and a couple of times, uh, uh, well, a couple of times uh, working with the Find Me group, I got within 100 meters. And uh, one time working with John Knowles on a case, uh, I got within... Well, I think John said something like a hundred, a hundred feet of where the the body was found. So that, that's that great.
4: You, you know, you're just on this topic and showing one of the experiments. You know, I did afterwards because the first one, like you mentioned, is you know drawing three random dots. At least what my teacher was doing that, and we we tested it. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But you know, later after reading, you know, a lot of disputes on on geophysics, and so on. I got this idea of using ARV, right? So from, there's a math problem that you can, you know, zero in 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 a location, you know, by halving. So if you have a rectangle, you halve it, and you're in the correct halving, you halve it again until you get to the precision, right? So I started doing that with ARV. Of course, if one selects the incorrect half, then everything is off. But then, you know, the problem is you don't know how is the scale you started with halving, and sometimes it's precise other times it require a lot of sessions and sometimes you were burnt out so you you probably were on the correct trail but was not effective enough especially if you were you know time-bounded but but yeah we love to hear if anyone else has tried anything and if not i see jimmy there waiting patiently
3: i haven't tried anything personally um And I'm not quite sure how well it ties into remote viewing. Obviously, it's not remote viewing, but dowsing. I know Paul Smith uh, teaches dowsing, and he's used it to great effect. I've heard a lot of negativity towards dowsing. I understand how it's intended to work, or it's how it's understood to work, and it makes sense to me, Uh, either dowsing with the pendulum or dowsing with uh, like coat hangers or whatever. So the logic underlining it makes sense uh per how i feel we understand remote viewing works as well um but again it's not remote viewing but daz if you or anybody else had any experience with dousing to any success
1: my personal experiences with dousing have been not too good i might not have given it the the attention it deserves though um i haven't you know like rv when i spent decades on it i Spent uh, you know days on on dowsing, um, but when well, you know, when when I worked with John and we uh, we or essentially John Knowles hired the best dowsers in in America at the time, you know their information was nowhere near, near as good as what we were getting with just standard remote viewing. That's 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 my only experience really.
3: Was dowsing used as part of the government programs that Paul Smith was involved in? Do you know uh... they
1: tried it for a while. Yeah, they definitely tried it. They tried lots of things. Uh, and you know, there there are documents in the Stargate archives that talk about this. Uh what they call the search problem. Finding things with remote viewing is incredibly hard because, you know, we can't come up with uh numbers of a str- of a street because words and numbers are particularly hard. Um not, I say can't, but that's not that's not the right word. Uh we, we most of us find it hard to do that. But generally, you know, if if it's if it's uh a, someone's wants information on a structure or a person or a missing person, when you're when you're trying to describe remote viewing because that's what remote viewing is—it's describing targets, not naming them. You know, when you're describing a, a person's location, you know, and they're they're on a off a, a forest path up in the hills. You know, there's mountains to the left, roads to the right. It's you know, it's very generic. So the search problem in an RV is always had his issues that's why it's probably for each of us to um explore and try to find our own ways and techniques really as i said you know i went through mo- the ones that worked for me which was working from the last known uh location for a missing person that that seemed to work quite well but you know that might not work for anyone else whereas where work- someone else might do really well with uh dowsing uh and it just doesn't work for me but yeah it's an issue it's always been an issue for decades um and it needs some good solutions if, if anyone can come up with something. Next up then was Jimmy.
6: Hey there. Um, hope everybody's doing well. Got a couple of thoughts uh, about something that was about the, the uh, reverse speech that I wanted to mention. But first, as um, you alluded to a test with some of the best dowsers in America and what did you say the results of that test were?
1: Uh, me and one of the other remote viewers, and maybe even more, than that, uh, got within feet of finding a, a dead missing person with our sketches and our RV data, and the dowsers were were way, way, way off.
6: Okay, so this wasn't a systematic test of dowsing.
1: No, no, it was just it was just it was a case I did working for John Knowles, trying to find a a missing woman in I think California at the Hmm. time, and it became a famous, uh, quite a famous case at the time. Um, The reports online on one of my blogs somewhere, if I can find it, I'll post the link in the the chat thing in a second.
6: Oh, great. Thank you. Um, So on the subject of reverse speech, I'd be interested in hearing a presentation by David John Oates. I haven't really followed him in a number of years. Personally, I'm quite skeptical of reverse speech. It seems to me that absent a rigorous statistical study, um, that it's likely to just be random cases of pareidolia, where when you reverse speech in any given language, whether it's spoken or, or written, you're just going to periodically encounter certain patterns in, the, in what you get that you can kind of convince yourself sound like something. Um, even though it's really random. But having said that, it seems to me that this would be a phenomenon that would be amenable to statistical study in much the same way remote viewing is. Because in remote viewing, like with some of the early tests in the 70s and going forward, you'd have a number of known targets and then you could have the results judged blindly to where the judges, you know, did not know what the target was and see how well they could match the results with the targets. Um, it seems to me something like that would be possible with reverse speech, because in reverse speech, allegedly the 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 thing that is being said re- reversed is relevant to what's being said forward. So for example, with the famous example when Neil Armstrong steps on the moon and he says it's one small step for man allegedly reversed, you hear man will spacewalk. And and the two are obviously relevant in that case. So it seems to me that it would be possible to do blind judging. I mean, you could have uh, you could have the known clips of forward speech, and then you could have the alleged or identify reversals that are supposed to be meaningful, and you could give the reversals to judges who are blind to what's going on and say, what do you hear here? You know, what, do, what are you hearing in this? And that would be a way of controlling for pareidolia, because if they don't know what's supposed to be there and they come up with the same thing, that would suggest that it's more than just pareidolia, that there is a real similarity. It's not just people's imaginations. And then there may be a way then to test the relevance of that to the forward speech. Um, but I don't know that, I don't personally know of anybody who's tried to conduct tests like that to see if there's better than random chance. My question is, Does anybody is anybody here aware of any kind of actual studies that have been done on reverse speech or is it just all anecdotal at this point?
3: I brought up the original question and I am i don't know of any studies that have been done. I've not really looked too deep into it. I just found out about reverse speech like two months ago. I'd never really heard of it before. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of a newer phenomenon uh, for me. Um, but yeah, it sounds like maybe Gail Husick. Uh, potentially uh, uh, might have s- some experience with actual research but, uh, and who is the individual you were talking about, as? Uh
1: The guy that is famous for it is a uh, gentleman called uh, David Oates. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gail Husick so- did have some examples on our website at, at one point of her speech in, in remote viewing. Um, I don't know if they're still up.
6: Okay. Uh, and If if David John Oates ends up uh, making an appearance, that would be one question I definitely love to hear him cover is, are there any actual studies that have been done of this phenomenon, particularly of a statistical nature, or is it just all anecdotal?
1: Yeah, we can certainly see if we can get him on uh, and give us a demo and yeah some uh, some information on this.
3: I do agree with you, you, Jimmy, for my limited uh, zero experience, but limited knowledge on reverse speech. I think, yeah, it would be. Uh, very much fit in with the whole blind double blind uh, mm-hmm. kind of study like that for sure
1: excellent thanks is is that is that uh all you had jimmy uh, is uh, answered you for now
6: yes thank you
1: okay yeah okay so next up on the hands up here is well how do i say this is it seri
7: Oh, you mean me? Sorry, Al. <laughs> Hi there. It's me. Hi. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about David Oates because I've been following him just recently. And uh, it's quite actually interesting when you listen to him on an extended basis as he follows, say, a theme. He'll have one person doing reverse uh, speech and saying things like there's going to be a war. But then another totally a different person will say the same thing and i'm beginning to get a sense that this reverse speech is more like the collective unconscious it's like doing traffic analysis you know these people can say whatever they want in the forwards but the truth comes out in reverse and it comes out consistently across different subjects which is it's bizarre, and it's worth a look. And i think, been, like I say, David's just putting out a book on the pandemic because he was reading reversals that were predicting everything. It's just amazing. Um, predicting this whole Dr. Fauci and the discovery of um, the whole hoax and the danger of the um vaccines and things like that. I shouldn't say this on YouTube, I'm sorry. Uh, but he is, has this book called The Big Con, and it just, just put it up like yesterday. Um, and he's got a few more coming out about these kinds of thematic across-the-board collective consciousness-type things that come out. So, you know, in that way, he's kind of done a lot of his own statistical work. It's really quite remarkable, and I, you know, I would really like to see him um, come to the meeting, you know.
1: Thanks for that. Yeah, I'll, we'll see if we can get him on board. Uh, I'll contact him tomorrow and see if we can get him to uh, uh, join in.
7: Yeah, that would be so cool. He's really funny and intelligent, and, uh, you know, it's worth, it's worth meeting, I would say.
1: Excellent. Thanks. Okay. Is there any uh, no one else with their hands up at the moment? Uh, anyone else have anything that they you know they want to ask, share, or
2: go for it? Don. Uh, let's see. Can you hear me? Okay. Um, so after you. Sort of prove to yourself that remote viewing works, and everybody sort of goes through this thing where they're sort of trying it and then they discover matches and hits and whatever, and you build up some confidence. Ultimately, you realize it works, and at that moment, you start wondering, How can I utilize this? What can be done with it? And the one idea that I kept coming up with was, um. I know this is far-fetched, but rewriting history has been this idea, this concept. I thought would be interesting because, quite honestly, especially in these times right now, it's very obvious that you know historical information, actually truth, is being manipulated. We have uh, it, it's it's difficult to even understand what is the truth anymore. And um, have you ever? thought about it. I guess this is an open question to everyone. Um, could there be a way of sort of like focusing in on certain things, collecting information and sort of like rebuilding history in some way? That's the question.
6: I have a thought about that. It seems to me that um, a challenge for that would be the fact that remote viewing data is not yet accepted on a widespread basis, Um, you know, so I wouldn't expect mainstream historians to want to rewrite their history books. Having said that, um, you know, within the remote viewing community where it is taken seriously, one could use and it has been used to look at particular historical events and it would be possible to do that in some, you know, targeted way to like, say, let's find out what was really going on with the assassination of Julius Caesar. Let's say maybe our Roman historians, you know, they're, they're dealing with court gossip and stuff. And so they're not always right. Uh, Maybe there's a way to find out what was going on Um, in doing that it would be very challenging. I mean it could be done, but it would be very challenging in that um, there's not easy feedback uh, for that data. And so the intention of the viewers doing that work could potentially mislead them into like either confirming or disconfirming particular views that they prefer regarding the assassination of Julius Caesar. Um, It would seem to me that in conducting such a project, it would be important to figure out the right relationship and the right balance between the data coming in from remote viewing and the data that's attested in the historical sources, because there's always this tight relationship or needs to be as tight a relationship as possible between the viewing data and the feedback. And the only feedback we have on historical sources is either literary or archeological. And you need to u- find some way of using that literary and archeological data to the extent possible to keep the RV results grounded so that you know you're not just going off into um into imagination.
2: You're wild blue yeah. yonder.
6: Exactly. So it seems to me like rather than rebuilding all of history, it might be possible to use, which would be a big project, it, it might be possible to use RV theoretically to answer certain targeted questions within the context of the literary and archaeological data we have.
2: Yeah, my, my, vague, th- yeah my vague idea was collect a whole bunch of remote viewing data and slap a bell curve on it and find out, mm-hmm. you know, what is it that most people are getting? Okay, that's maybe, like, closer to the truth <laughs> than the outliers on the, you know, the high and the low side of the curve. Um, and then, I don't know, start publishing data, gathering data, like assembling a database. I don't know. I don't, it's, it's just... A, uh, a vague idea, but it's just something that's been in the back of my mind.
3: I've got two Are points there, to that, Don. Oh, I'm sorry, Jimmy. Yeah. Oh, no, I would go ahead. Oh, okay. Thank you. So to piggyback off you, Jimmy, uh, to a degree, um, one thing I always thought would be interesting is to remote view. Uh, for example, let's say the target was Napoleon. Well, very few people realized that he wasn't actually that short. That was just kind of... Um, Uh, false information fed by the enemy, but it's in our collective conscious now that Napoleon is short. (laughs) So when you remote view, are you getting feedback from like that collective opinion? Or are you actually getting feedback of the actuality of the matter? And I think historical targets like that where uh, we can dive in and find some actual piece of information that differs from what society thinks, I think that would be a good litmus test. To see if we're viewing um, a collective fantasy, which would include truthful elements or, or not, and how we could refine uh, both the, the intention and the wording of everything. Um, and then, to your point, too, Don, um, you know, Farsight, they've kind of been doing that. Um, obviously, they went the extraterrestrial route, which might end up being the route that everything is actually uh, taking place. But one kind of counterpoint to them is, I've noticed that in some of their viewing sessions, they've built on to their previous um, sessions to the point where they'll say things, uh, the, um, uh, the target will be, describe the war between Mars and Earth they're basing that off of previous feedback from remote viewing. And I kind of disagree with that because I feel that you have to go in with virgin eyes each and every time, because when you say the war between Mars and earth, you may get somebody's fantasy about those events because you're wording it and you're not giving the option that that event never took place. And I think that can build a group fantasy up and I'm cautious about that. So I would Uh, be cautious about that too, Don, when kind of building up a not a unique history, but, you know, getting to the truth that each time you do it, you're doing it with virgin eyes.
4: That's
2: an excellent point. Excellent. You know, there is this concept of um, remote viewing imaginary targets, and we haven't really come to closure on how to deal with that.
3: Yeah. And I think Fabian, I really liked what he was saying uh, a couple months back where He would actually invent i think it was like a creature in his head that was brand new and could you pick up on that when only one person's consciousness had that idea or that uh, conscious energy around a concept Uh, so i really kind of liked i'd be interested to see what he found out from all that to be Mm -hmm. honest but too, don i think we could use remote viewing i would like to see it used to find out like uh could we get more information on the sea people that attacked egypt Uh, or I think it was Paul Smith, if I'm not mistaken, um, I wanna say that did a remote viewing session on the Maya because they mysteriously just kind of disappeared from the archeological record. And so his feedback was that the cities and the temples and everything that the Maya built that we have today, those were civil buildings that the group of Maya built but they themselves didn't live there or operate uh, it was government buildings, basically. So maybe they had, I think his feedback was uh, that it was famine or something like that. So basically they kind of went back to the jungle, kind of decentralized, went to their own tribal factions, stuff like that. And obviously there's still Maya today, but I think things like that, even if it's not rewriting from the very source narrative of our history, but finding out clues like that or the Olmec civilization, where they come from, came from. Uh, Cause some of the statue heads in Central America uh, kind of have African features, so was it an African civilization that boated over at some point, or, or what? But yeah, I'm with you, Don. I think that'd be very interesting.
6: On the subject of imaginary targets, Daz has a really nice uh, article on his website uh, summarizing some of the some of the work that's been done with the imaginary targets, including some that Daz himself did. I wanted, to <clears throat> I wanted to thank you, Daz. You sent me a link to that, which I used in my podcast, and I gave you a couple of shout outs in the recent interviews I did with Paul Smith, both for that and for your really nice demonstration of the first stages, the stages one through three of remote viewing. Um, I was really impressed with that and wanted to recommend it to my listeners. In terms of viewing imaginary targets, I mean, definitely folks check out Daz's uh, piece on it. I'm also, for the future, I'm working on a research proposal to try to systematically study uh, the results for imaginary versus real targets, and maybe at some point there will be some practical results from that.
2: I'm interested in that, Jimmy. Are you going to publish that, or how is that going to be distributed?
6: Well, um, as as of right now, I'm just working on a research proposal, and then it would have to be... And it'd be a fairly large scale project, probably composed of sub projects that would then be rolled out over time if it's possible to get, uh, you know, funding or and or volunteers for it. But it occurred to me that, hey, it would be really great to do a systematic study of this, because if it's possible to identify the accuracy rate of imaginary versus real targets or find a way to identify when the target is imaginary, it could be a real benefit in helping cutting through some of the noise that's out there in remote viewing results. I saw someone uh, in the chat just asked how to, how to find my podcast. Just Google Jimmy Akin's mysterious world. And it's, it's easily available where podcasts are. It's also on YouTube and stuff like that.
1: Just going back to the Don question uh, quickly. Um, I think the history thing would be bettered if you took the approach that uh, Stephen Schwartz, I don't know if you're aware of his previous work. No, uh, he did some uh, amazing projects, you know, with, with, with some amazing viewers, like I, I think Ingo might work with him for a while, but Hela Hamid and a few of the other top notch people, whereas they were doing archeology span projects. So he actually, and there's videos of this, he actually took the viewers along to sites uh and gave them maps and stuff but you know, the, you know there are there's a video of, of one site for example i think it's Heather hamid uh and you know she'd look around the site and she'd literally okay dig here this is where you'll find it uh, and they dig there and they and they find it so that's you know and they didn't know where it was beforehand so that's perfect perfect proof of remote viewing working on on the job uh finding historical data
2: to back it up uh, Is that something in your magazine then? Dennis? No,
1: there's uh, Stephen's done several books. There's one called the uh, Alexandria Project. One's called Secret Vaults of Time. Um, but yeah, essentially he did many years worth of archaeological projects with with the top viewers using viewers to like the uh, Alexandria one. Uh, I think they were given maps or grid areas to mark uh, where they thought areas of interest to dive to were uh they also they then took the viewers advice dived on those areas and they they found things or artifacts that most probably are from uh the lost city of alexandria and stuff so you know really good valuable stuff i don't think he's done anything over the last decade or two you know this is stuff in the uh in the 70s and 80s but the books are still really good worth, worth reading
2: all right thanks for the recommendations i'll look that up uh, Sasha's had her
1: hand up for quite a while.
8: There we go. Hi. Um, okay, so I have a question and I, I mean it to be respectful, so I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Um, seeing as remote viewing, there is the problem with accuracy, right? There is that, let's say 70% threshold. Um, over which it's really hard for a lot of people to score a lot. And even if they do, right, even some of the best remote viewers, they're not 100% right all the time. And so a lot of what we might use remote viewing for can be better done using technology. We have cell phones, we have Zoom and Skype. Um, So technology is doing better what we might use remote viewing for like finding mines in a minefield or uh, finding oil and gas or lithium or rare earth minerals right all these things that we might think we could do remote viewing for even finding missing people you know we have cadaver dogs or we have satellite imagery we have cameras that can that, that photograph every single car that goes on every single street. And so we kind of do more and more have the technology to do anything that, that, our, that remote viewing might do and does it more reliably. And so I'm wondering if, if that's the case, then what is the purpose of remote viewing and what, what is its future and what do we want as the future for remote viewing? What is the goal that we're working towards as a community? Because if it's just something that we do for fun, if it's just to say, oh, look, humans have some psi ability um, that's fine and that's great. and, And people get a sense of maybe spirituality from it that they might not get in other ways. And so I think that that's fantastic. But I wonder if there's not more that we could do with it. So if remote viewing, brings an awareness to remote healing. And if we look at remote healing in groups, maybe being more effective than some of the medicines that are given out today, because if you look, there's a huge replicability crisis in in medicine where More and more drugs that they've been using for decades don't actually work better than the placebo anymore um the truth wears off it's this effect the decline effect where they start retesting these drugs and they find oh actually they don't work at all (laughs) you may as well just take a sugar pill and you're better off so what if we instead of, of giving people drugs that have side effects and and especially for americans who are spending so much money on these things um what if instead we had remote healing centers where you could go in and you'd have people that are using these techniques to heal. Then all of a sudden, then the the fact that maybe it's not 100% doesn't matter because it only has to be more effective than the drugs on the market or than the treatment centers that you would get at your doctor's office. And so if a drug has a, I don't know, if it's 23% Uh, effective, because the placebo's effect is usually 22.5% on a lot of these things, as long as the remote healing is 30% um, effective, then you're offering something that's worth the money, because it's better than what you can get in an American hospital. And so I'm wondering if these are the kinds of things we we should start thinking about. um, And even telekinesis, There are these groups that are kind of popping up that offer training on telekinesis, but it's parlor tricks, right? It's just, oh, look, I can move this little thing in this little dish and that's fantastic and it's amazing. But at the same time, it doesn't have much practical use. If we were working in groups that are together in one location at one time, then can we get significantly stronger effects? And then can we start applying that to things that are not replaceable by technology? I think and if we can't, then do we see remote viewing as an entryway into a belief system tied to some kind of an ethos having to do with spirituality or doing good in the world or maybe not? I don't know. But I just I'm just wondering, because one of the conversations that I've seen in, in some different places has to do with the the dropping out effect people are very interested in remote viewing and they they participate in the community and they start doing it and they get some targets right they're very excited and then they just six months later they're out of it they don't care (laughs) um because they're not seeing maybe enough of what they can do with it or maybe they just get disillusioned or maybe they think that everybody else is getting a picture perfect image of the target in their sketch well they're just getting some details of it right so I think that there's a lot of these contributing factors to why there aren't more people that are maintaining their interest in remote viewing so I'm just wondering what the community thinks about this
3: (laughs) I can talk to a couple of those points so I learned from John Vivanco uh, same as Don actually and uh so it's the trans-dimensional remote viewing uh, protocol. And so one thing that he taught, uh, and I've not seen, so Prudence Caliprese, she's got a great series that dad's posted up on uh, his remote view YouTube channel. Uh, I've only gone through, I think like the first two, something like that. So she may discuss it later on, I'm not sure. So maybe check that out. Uh, but John Pavanko, actually in one of our, our last class, I think, uh, he discussed, and we kind of worked on remote healing so at least in that modality, there is some applicability towards health in that regard. Uh, and so it was both uh, in a way to kind of diagnose and also to send healing uh, energy. Uh, I feel that's obviously not as well tested <laughs> in a uh, scientific manner as CRV is uh, uh, generally. Um, but to make a point too about the utility of psychokinesis and stuff. Yeah, it is really disappointing when you're like, okay, well, if I concentrate and get my mind state just right in about 20 minutes, I can move a little needle just a little bit. Like It is a parlor trick, but I think the utility of it is that that allows or it informs us how the universe works or how our reality works. Uh, so it may not have any like major practical practicality in terms of like Jedi mind tricks or anything, uh, frankly cool like that. But uh, but I think it, it 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 really describes how our reality works. And for me, I take that, and it's not my hypothesis, but the one I subscribe to is that basically we are in a very stable collective dream, and that's why psi abilities in our waking life are so weak uh because we're fighting everybody else's kind of maybe uh conscious energy that's creating this group think um who knows that's one of like a million options (laughs) so we'd have to do more research obviously that's the point but uh i think uh, at least in tdrv there is a healing component to it at least for how john vivanco taught i'm not sure about how other teachers teach or if that's even a main component of that and something he introduced i'm not sure but that's my experience
2: I'd also like to add on that. um, Sasha, you said a lot of things there, but there was one thing that sort of like triggered, um, and it's also tied in with what uh, Jimmy was talking about, you know, doing some sort of like research. And um, uh, I think it was a talk by Deborah Katz where she was talking about um, certifying her mediums. Uh, She was working with mediums, and she had this... uh, Like process of certifying them, I I don't know what was involved in that, but the concept struck me as interesting because I don't know that we have that, you know, in the remote viewing community. I mean, you can take classes and everything like that, but like, like for say Jimmy's interest, where he wants to get some research data and presumably the most reliable data that he can get, maybe there needs to be some sort of certification process. I'm just throwing that out there. Now I'll back away slowly.
8: <laughs> I think that's interesting, except that what if there's variation in the accuracy rate? So you get certified at an 80%, but two years later, maybe you're down to 62%, or maybe during the month where you're contracted to work on a project for whatever reason. Your accuracy is just lower that much, right? So I think, but I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to think about or to consider, definitely.
4: Sasha, so? but, but just sorry, I interrupted someone. Sasha, I was gonna mention that one of the things that Engel mentioned in one of his, his, just give me a second. Please. So one of the things Ingo mentioned in his, his lectures were that, you know, we are approaching remote viewing and anything psychic with a you no know, practically obsolete point of view, right? Materialistic uh, and probably accuracy. We tend to measure it in a materialistic way, but which is the, the correct way to measure it in a psychic world? For example, you know, one of the things I've noticed is that the more you practice our or or things, you may end up, you know, developing other awarenesses. Like you're growing and adapting to this this kind of information and it's something you cannot measure, right?
8: Yes, I think that's a good point. I, I think we have to be careful in attributing our own motivation to other people. Um, like Rich said, some people think Because of remote viewing, they now perceive reality as maybe more of a dream. But then for some people, that might free them to be slightly more evil. To some people, that'll motivate them to be a little bit more loving, caring. But you can't assume that because you decide, okay, this is a dream or it's a simulation or whatever it is, because remote viewing makes you want to be kinder, makes you want to have more unity or be more at one with people. That doesn't mean that that's going to apply to everyone who comes to that conclusion about the nature of reality. Some people might see it as, well, then this is just a game and and life and death doesn't really matter because we live on after we die. So maybe it's not the worst thing if I start killing the people who annoy me because they're just going to go to this nice afterlife. And we have all these details about the afterlife from remote viewing and we know it's a good place. So I'm just going to hasten <laughs> their departure for that vacation space so that they're not here annoying me and getting in my way. So like I just think it's an, it's an interesting thing that I see in the remote viewing community is this idea that that because a lot of the people here are such loving people that that, that somehow a side effect of learning to a remote view. But I don't think it is. I think that. I think, and I think it's dangerous to assume to assume that.
6: <laughs> Sasha has raised a number of very interesting points. One that I wanted to address is um, the is retention in the community. Uh, that was one of the things she mentioned about people participating for a while and then kind of dropping out and doing things like telekinesis on a small scale, but not really finding practical applications for it and stuff. I actually have some similar experience coming from kind of a totally different angle. Um, In, in one of my other lives, I am a dance caller and I call square dances and contra dances and English country dances and Morris dances and all kinds of different dances. And there are dance clubs that do, you know, dancing on a regular weekly basis and one of the things they're always concerned with is how can we keep and retain club members? Because if they don't retain club members over time, then um, then they don't survive as a club. And it's especially challenging in things like modern Western square dancing, where in order to even be able to dance with the club, you have to take a year long class first. And how do you get people through that class? And, it can be very challenging for those groups because there are a lot of people who are interested in doing dancing once in a while, or they want to try it out and, you know, get some initial benefit out of it, but they're not going to become serious hobbyists. And I think that the same thing tends to be true of remote viewing and other psychic modalities where you have some people who are just curious about it. They, they are, they want to see, does it work? You know, one of the things that uh, all of the people here who have, who have been through programs have commented on it one time or another is there's the phase where you want to see does this really work and, and for some people, once they're satisfied okay this works, then they've got what they wanted out of the activity and they're going to move on to another activity. There could be other people who are um, who are interested in pursuing it a little bit further but aren't interested in becoming you know full-time mission oriented, Uh, viewers and then there will be some people who will be hardcore it seems to me there's a there's kind of a spectrum of levels of interest and there's it's not necessarily a mistake that the community is making if some people just have a casual curiosity they want to have personal experience to see does this work or not and the community is not necessarily doing anything wrong if those people satisfy their curiosity and and then move on to something else but by having people like come and visit your dance club, eventually some of them will turn into serious hobbyists that, you know, are going to stick with the activity a long time. And I suspect that the same principles apply across the board in all different fields of human endeavor for what that's worth.
3: And it takes work. I mean, it's not really an instant gratification process. It can't be to a degree, I guess, if you get like the beginner's luck and get some good feedback. Uh, but I guess if that doesn't pique your interest to continue, I'm not quite sure what will. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, it's just my two cents.
1: Yeah, on the retention thing, it's a bit like um, you know, I've experienced this in martial arts because I've I've been interested in martial arts all my life, and you know, you'll start a class with with say ten or twenty people, but by the time you've reached the black belt level, which is four to six years later, there probably is only one percent of of that class still left in it because you know people drop out because they just a lot of people just don't have the ability to to give four to six years in in an endeavor uh you know and i've seen that across multiple uh martial arts classes and I, i i equate remote viewing to the same there are lots of people that are interested in it but you know like every kind of skill-based endeavor, it does take a long time to be really good at it, and we just have to be honest. A lot of people don't have the dedication to, to do that. You know, they are casual,
6: and and casual can be okay. And it doesn't mean you're mm-hmm. not doing something wrong if you don't retain the casuals.
8: Yeah, I think so. Too. I think that, Yeah, I think those are. That's probably very true. I do think, though, that it would be maybe helpful in increasing the rate of retainment of of the interested people, maybe if there was a clear goal of what is all this work going to give you. So if you do invest the six years of work in remote viewing, practicing every day, what do you end up with? Do you end up with a connection to the galactic generation so that you can talk to the aliens do you end up with the ability to predict the bitcoin price reliably or do you just end up with something different something else and so that's why i'm wondering if uh,
1: but it's so hard that's that's such a broad question that's yeah. individual to each of us yes is that to each of us to, to decide how we want to use our our eventual skills and what interests us as a, as a person is it's so broad i mean yeah i don't i don't know where you'd even start with with something like that me neither <laughs> that's
8: why i was asking i was kind of putting it
1: out there <laughs> i'm doing lots of crypto stuff but i wasn't interested in crypto stuff but i, I kind of am now but i've grown into it um you know i wasn't interested in and i'm still Well, I am more. I wasn't interested in financial markets, but now I find myself watching financial market information. Um, So I've grown into that. Um, I thought I always expected remote viewing to be used more for exploratory purposes, you know, going to places that we can't send the probes to, we can't get good information on. but in a lot of cases it's not being used for those purposes a lot of people out there the majority of the people I find uh, instantly uh, they find remote viewing and they're they go down the ARV route of how can I how can I use this to generate as much money as I can as fast as I can for myself yeah that's that's where I see the majority of remote viewing going but that might just be my personal <laughs> um, opinion on it but that's that's what I see anyway I, show I think what-
4: isn't that how we all tackle life? We we think we are thinking logically saying, you know, I'm studying this, I'm doing that because that will bring this, but we end up doing things completely different. And sometimes you find your, your inner compass and say, you know, who cares? I will paint now, you know, uh, abstract paintings for, for not even for life, for just for fun. And it, it is not connecting you to the Galactic Federation unless they want one of those paintings, right? But you are doing that because you feel like so. And I feel like, you know, abilities, you know, I know people that are really good at football, football, like in Europe, right? Uh, Football, soccer, no, not, not uh, American football. They could have been playing professional, but they don't want to play professional. They enjoy more their casual games and watching other games. And they, they have everything to succeed there, but you know that they, they probably prefer to be a fireman or something like that. So, I think that one of the key lessons I personally, again, personally learned from this journey is that there's more than the material world or what we have been taught uh, through our social life, right? Then meets the eye. And remote viewing is like opening the eye and you are now a little bit eager to learn more, to know more, to feel more, because you don't know exactly where you are standing up or where you're going. You know, just, just to stop interrupting everyone, one key thing that opened my eyes recently to the different ways people think, there's this uh, book by the ancient Maya called the Bu." And in, I think it's chapter three, uh, they're relating how humankind was created. I think it was the third or the fourth uh, group that was created. And at some point they, they describe these initial guys, you know, observing things without moving. They were able to know everything just by standing there. So the creators in this book, they're called um, you know, uh, the Heart of Heaven and Kukulkan and everyone. They say, you know, we were at, at the beginning, you know, happy we were creations. These ones really met what we wanted, but now they are doing everything we do and that's not good. So they end up that, that part by saying, you know, we'll limit their vision and they, they send some kind of fog into their eyes so they could not longer see that way. They didn't remove the ability. They just, you know, blocked it. And, and that's something that, you know, here, there are still a few of those guys that really have tried to conserve the, the ancient traditions. And they call them, you know, uh, shamans, nawals, whatever. And, and these guys really do probably natural remote viewing, to call it something. And they can sit there and, and look at things. The, the, the government used them for the internal war for the civil war uh, when fighting and it's amazing but these guys have a completely different way of living than us you know they they will not care too much about material things they will gather other kind of things they will take very uh, personal many other things like you know nature or uh, ancestors or the the ones that are coming that they they say they are coming you don't know when but they're coming that's the only thing they say so it's a curious way of comparing People like us that have been exposed to to this same you know kind of experience and they they have embraced it differently, so just wanted to share that thank you
5: i think there are, I think there are several different dynamics at play. sorry, I know I'm not on camera and my parakeet society they want to talk to you guys, so I might move um so I think if you go through some of the Friday chats, there have been really good examples of the different ways that different people have been using remote viewing from corporate uses, um, ARV obviously keeps coming up pretty regularly. Um, we know about, you know, Prue and John Vavanko's project with TDS. Um, and I think John Knowles was with that as well. So I, I think, i think there are a lot of examples and people are doing remote healing right so there are a lot of examples of things that pe- people are doing i don't think i don't think that there's a one size fits all answer to what the community needs i do think that there is something significant about bringing people in having them get exposed to the possibilities and thinking about retention because you need to bring new people in for them to imagine new new directions for RV to go. But your big problem then becomes how much grounding in, you know, in the tradition do you need before people can kind of appropriately go and and do that exploration. And I think that's the tension between the people who are trying to preserve what RV has been and, and what RV will be um, in the future. Um, I'd love to hear from Ellie, what was it, Ellie Molina? Um, uh, working with young people, and I think um, Julie Tasker said that in the chat about, you know, what does it look like when you bring children into um, this tradition? Um, but touching on what Pablo said, there there are a lot of spiritual traditions and beliefs that think that um, whatever we're up to right now in this reality. Um, we're not supposed to be totally ungrounded, like we're not supposed to be living in our heads and just living in re- remote viewing land. And I think it's a, an ability that we are supposed to have and maybe be aware of because it gets us in touch of kind of our responsibility to the other things that we are interconnected with. Um, so I think that balance is probably the appropriate Thing I don't think that the goal is for us to turn into these, you know, fully intuitive spiritual beings and living in that space. I don't think that we probably landed in 3D reality to ignore 3D reality. Um, But I think that there's a benefit and, and it helps us to be balanced when you realize, okay, I'm a physical being having a physical experience, but also maybe something more than that. And keeping the tension between the two is probably important.
0: Yeah, um, as a response, a bit to Sasha and, and maybe a, d- a general comment. I think <clears throat> part of what we're what we're seeing here is the loss of the actual definition of remote viewing. As an example, I had a very nice Zoom chat with uh, Ingo's niece Ellie the other day and asked her her opinion on certain things uh, and some of the obstacles they face as an estate, say with misrepresentation of Ingo and different topics like that. And she reminded me very, very strongly, remote viewing uh, was a thin slice of Ingo's existence. He didn't try to make it end all be all. For instance, on the medical applications, he referred to that as an area where you could psychically perceive and look at uh, a, a person's body and, and maybe, you know, see these types of things. He had astrology when he wanted to uh, understand a person's individual characteristics. He had Scientology, which Daz the other day pointed out something in the uh, some new uh, estate documents that were published where you could actually see some of his solo Scientology sessions. After he left that group, he went to Avatar and so on the spectrum goes. So, you know, as strange as this may sound coming from me in particular, CRV was a very narrowly defined um, goal. It was for people to learn to use these abilities for a very specific purpose at the time. Now, as he continued to explore it and, you know, look at different things, um, you know, the term remote viewing, I mean, it started with an absolutely clinical definition. He discussed it with two other two of the other scientists at the moment that the term came into existence. And at the original definition, it was just simply the fact that he was working with away from body perception, and he he had another term that he thought was useful, but the scientist there said, you know, basically, after all, you are looking or viewing or perceiving something at a distance. Then as that definition shifted, and probably the best clarification is on Daz's site, what are the exact stipulations, what constitutes an actual remote viewing session, no matter the the method being used. So when Ingo was on Art Bell, he talked that when someone starts perceptual training of any sort, it's not going to just be the one thing that you set out. Your whole perceptual spectrum is going to open and you're going to become aware of entities. He stated that clearly and other things. So it's just like opening the window to look at the tree in my yard. I'm also going to see the fence, the grass, the sky, the mountains. So once we open these perceptual systems, there's going to be multiple, multiple modalities. And Ingo, uh, in particular, in his, uh, I think it's a 2002 or wherever, the first Irva talk. And then in 2006, he talks extensively about the uh, cities from the yogis. In his book, Resurrecting the Mysterious, he sounds like an East. Oh, that's the other one. Ellie said that was very important to him, but towards the end of his book, Resurrecting the Mysterious, he sounds like an Eastern mystic. He sounds like, you know, like a yogi. He's even using the old Hindu terms to explain concepts that we don't have good words for. So if we come into this and remote viewing turns into remote healing and psychokinesis and this, that, the other, you know, it, it just becomes such a broad spectrum. So what is remote viewing? Okay, and then how does it line up with other tools? Pam Coronado is the best example I know of. If she gets tasked by something from law enforcement and has no data, they didn't give her any front loading, she'll do a blind uh, remote viewing session. Then at a certain point, she might use just standard psychic skills. Then at a certain point, she might actually use mediumship and communicate with the being that's missing. and another tool that she has. So to, to say, like for me, I don't use remote viewing for everything. I don't use a person for personal decisions. I'm not interested in you know gambling with it. Um, I use remote viewing, as I understand it, and specifically CRV, for a very intense purpose. When I want to do something else, I'll use a telepathic process uh, that I've been trained in. When I want to do something else, I'll use uh, these different tools. So once this term remote viewing just becomes a massive umbrella for everything mystical, we have to remember not, there's nothing new under the sun. Beings, you know, by some accounts, I think Ingo went up to 9,000 years ago, were doing all of this naturally, spontaneously, and then with some training within a yogic culture or a monastery, uh, or even mystical Christian, uh, mystical Islamic traditions, the Sufis. So, I mean, this isn't new at all. It's, as Ingo said a million times everywhere, it is innate. It's our nature as a being to have perception greater than the perception in the sensing systems of just the physical body. So I would say, you know, before we get too carried away and say that, you know, remote viewing is the end all be all of everything, I think we might want to, you know, put it in its little spot in the toolkit and then look at these other topics. Sure, they're, they're in the same field, whether you want to call it psychic consciousness doesn't matter, but we can, I don't think we can just take one term and apply it to every single thing under the sun. So there is my soapbox
3: for the day. And uh, also to your point, Sasha, about um, retaining new people that come into remote viewing. I know for myself and how my mind works, I'm very, at least I like to think I am methodical. And I think it was Carla that made a point in the general chat that I agree with that I think it'd be very useful to have a mind map. So one thing I've found very useful in my meditation is the book, The Mind Illuminated. It takes a very step-by-step approach of uh, here's what you can expect. Here's common pitfalls. Here's what you can do to get past it. I feel like remote viewing as it currently stands is basically broken up into basic intermediate and advanced, or just basic and advanced. <laughs> and it's just such a broad nebulous kind of thing and kind of drawing off a of Daz's thing. Cause I, I too did martial arts and used to teach it that, and I'm not sure how actually true this is, but uh, the general idea is that in martial arts in the western culture we instituted the belt system white belt yellow belt whatever all the way up to black belt first degree second degree yada yada depending on the style whereas uh for the asian cultures that it derived from they never had that it was introduced for a western audience because we are uh we have we need something to work towards i guess uh as a as a group uh so maybe Something along those lines, I think, would be uh, beneficial for some.
0: One, one quick thing in in comment to your thing, Rich, and this is not directed at you specifically. Until someone takes the training, they don't know. They don't know. There's a specific mind map laid out in Paul's training, from Ingo's talks on pre-conscious. Um, books that he used on um, his research. There is already kind of a mind map laid out and when you do basic basic has a specific set of functions, then you need time and do 10 homeworks to assimilate and practice and get feedback. Then you go to intermediate. It's completely different. It builds on the previous stages. And and you can see it all crystal clear. And then when you get to advanced and get you know to uh, stage five, there's a genius to stage five that until you go through the regimen to you know, Paulo give three or four hours talk with slides on how the lemon works, how data comes in, how it's processed, why they just chose the bits and pieces of adjectives at first. Um, the site contact when he discovered that stage three he discovered when he was at ASPR and um, wanted to sketch instead of verbalize what he was perceiving. Stage four is 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 amazing when, when you actually you know so when these things are trained and understood and then you realize there's 500 people hypnotists psychologists. Um, so, physicists, and in, in, in on and on the list goes. They tested it with artists, they tested it with authors, they tested it with natural psychics, they tested it, Hella Hammond started out to be a control person who wasn't considered psychic. So when you realize between 1971 and 1985, that's 14 years, 500 people with essentially unlimited resources, and the highest level of facility at SRI, okay, this thing, it wasn't arbitrary. And so when one takes the training and actually goes through and sees it, you do get a little bit more of a persistent perspective on what that box we call CRV, how it was designed. That box was never intended to, you know, solve the universe's problems and and so i just this is where you know i say to to someone get the training because when you get it and when you realize and you see how the structure works it it's very coherent and it's built on information processing so people say well let's evolve it that was based on the human brain and the human mind you know 40 some years ago What has evolved about the human brain and the human mind? Nothing. It's the same as it was when Inga was studying the mystics and yogis from 9,000 years ago. They had a brain. They had a mind. They described some of the processes. So when all of these 500 people came together to see how does information get processed by the brain-mind, okay, if they discovered that accurately then, what's evolved? not the brain or the mind. Now, have these different branches that have evolved out of CRV done incredible things? Absolutely. Could they have discovered things that are better than aspects of CRV? Sure, absolutely. None of that's in question. But what's in question is this urge to evolve something that pretty much kind of you know, publicly speaking had a a termination point, which Tom McNear recently extended to roughly stage seven. And then Daz talked about some of the stuff uh, about analytics. I've studied that folder. There's some interesting things. There are some failures. There's some frustration. And at some point, allegedly Ingo gave up on uh, stage eight analytics. So it's just, where does it start? Where does it stop? How is it gonna be used? And what's the optimum way of being trained And beyond CRV, which there's worlds of everything. You know, some people call it astral travel. I mean, you could could look at these things. What is RV as we know it? What was it designed for? And what about the mind brain has changed so that we have to evolve CRV? That would be like saying, you know, we realize that people get colds from a virus. And then just saying, well, we should evolve the, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's just you have the body, you have the virus, you get the cold. And yeah, maybe you'll continue to look for a vaccine, but the virus and the the body are, are the same. So when we're talking about evolution, really, what are we talking about? We're talking about new ways of looking things, which people should do. But when they do it, they should own it. And most of them do. Prudence, so uh, Courtney, Ed Dames, they said, this is, I had this and now I have this and I created this and it's mine and they they own it and great. But this this just too this too much shotgun blast in, in thinking that somehow you know that that we're going to find some new tricky mystical way to become magicians or prophets. I, ju- I just think in a certain way that's going too far and when you look at why people have quit at least the ones i have known or ones that have told me why they quit one i've seen several and daz is even common on this i've seen several psychotic breaks people that seemed stable people that seemed good people that were participating in the forums or in the forums, and they just went off the deep end and a couple came back and said this is a terrible thing to do don't do it it's bad for your brain and they had psychotic breaks the second reason is people got frustrated with hop around training and tried this, tried this, tried that, and didn't get results and, and quit. And then a couple of people um, you know, just lost interest. Like Paul says a lot of people take basic, go, yeah, shoot, this does work, and that's it for them. That's all they needed, that's all they wanted. So as far as retaining people, retain them to what? If we're gonna try to retain them, we have to have a definition. I think Courtney should retain his people. I think uh, Prudence and now Vivanco, they should retain their people. I think Deborah Katz, who uh, also has a multi-tool toolkit, should retain her people and each person because nobody's gonna be drawn to the same thing. I know for a fact there are people that are just not suited for remote uh, CRV. They would hate it. They just It just is not their thing. It does. They want to have visions or they want to have experiences and and they want to be more subjective and involved. And if they got to CRV and, and you realize you have to take out those emotions, take out those visions, take out, you know, it's just not for them. And I think we just need to realize and, and find some way to kind of. Come together, but not try to shove each other in a box and. People by perception, I can understand. They think, oh, Russell just wants to shove you in the CRV box. No, I don't. I have no interest in that. I know that most people um, in the psychic or more uh, experiential perceptual realms that can be highly accurate. I've seen it be more accurate than CRV. They would hate that methodology. So I wanna see a community. I wanna see people stay in it i want to see everybody express their native abilities whether it's crv or not and i want to see the world become a better place that's what i really want to see and that was in a huge way ingo's mission in and of himself was to get people psychically activated and kind of you know head towards that hundredth monkey where no matter what perceptual maybe you're a master astrologist i don't know anything about astrology you maybe you're a master psychic, maybe you're a master medium. So the community can be all inclusive, but we just, we, I just don't think we should shoot one definition, one term, or things that are specific for this versus things that are specific to that, and try to make too, too much of a homogenous pie. All right, that's actually two
3: soapboxes. <laughs> No, to that point, Russell, I uh, obviously my experience is TDRV and obviously it's me- it's laid out, right? I mean there's a process to it. Um but yeah, maybe it's not as methodical as I would prefer. So maybe CRV is the right modality for me. I've not really dipped my toes in that. Um so yeah, I mean to that point. And uh, and you so should, I didn't realize that.
0: Yeah, dip your toe. And if it's not for you, get out of the pool. Or if you dip your toe and you go, whoa. And it works for you great, but there, it's, you know, I mean, CRV was probably designed somewhat for people like me that are that I wouldn't say are, um, how can I put it, overly psychic by nature and needed something to kind of pull that out. So you look at all the people and the, the way Tom McNair described the little quiz they gave you to, you know, whether you were selected or not. So, it took me from, you know, say t- 10% to maybe 25 or 30%. That was good for me. But what's good for me is not good for you or anybody. So, yeah, dabble, try. But at some point, like Daz and I talked a little bit on a Zoom maybe two or three times ago, um, if you just hop around to every structure under the sun, you're not going to build those neural pathways. So people that build neural pathways through Leonard Lori's training and get that established, that produces incredible results. Uh, Courtney, Prudence, yourself, uh, I mean, Bavanko's training, all these things. At some point, I think personally, you need to land somewhere and ingrain that structure. Whatever structure suits you, whatever you feel inclined for, and whatever produces what you want to produce. Hopping around forever is, in my opinion, one of the killers of new people, because they're expecting, well, if I try this method, that'll give me a magic result. If I try this method, it'll give me a, ma-. no. There's a point where you've got to develop the stages of perception according to whatever instructor you prefer and get that built in over time. I mean, Daz talked about the number of repetitions he did um, you know, even a streak of six months of relentless practice with some misses in there. You know, it is, there's just a point where you've got to get your, your mind, brain trained. And I'll, I'll stop now. It, uh, I saw someone put their hand down and I know there's people with their hands up. So it's kind of got into a dialogue and I apologize to those that have been waiting.
1: Thanks, Russell. We all enjoy your chats, Matt. You've had your hand up for a long time, I think. Uh, do you want to go next?
9: Sure, love to. Um, hello, all. First time in my group chat. Uh, uh, yeah, I have. A, well, I could have. I have so many possible questions, but <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll keep it brief. Um, I suppose. One of the first things I want to know because of the pandemic and I've been seeing like these Zoom chats and people talk about training or mentoring or monitoring. Have you seen a difference between mentoring or training uh, virtually online as opposed to doing it in person? Uh, is, there, is there a difference in terms of like setting up a session or or do you, does that not even work? Like. If you have students, do not uh, do it via Zoom or via Skype or something like this.
1: Does anyone want to uh, answer this one?
2: Russell, you should answer
7: that one. Well, I, have I, to to in, like. I have something to say about that. Because the like, first time I ever tried remote viewing, I was watching a YouTube video, and there was a guy doing a test for RV on the video. So one guy had an envelope with a picture in it, and the other guy had a desk. So I thought, okay, I'm going to draw what's in that envelope. And, you know, I came pretty close. It was a round thing with some arms on it, and I drew what looked a bit like cloth. And I think that you can you can do R V. Across the internet,
10: like on his
0: sister, sure. I would say that would be my. Opinion. Um, okay, to Don's point, Don, I was trying to be quiet, but you invoked me. Okay, so Matt, hello, and nice of you to join us. Glad you're here. Welcome. The, to, to me, and this is just a life question. Everything, in my opinion, is better in person. All right. Um, a handshake, a hug, a conversation. Zoom is literally the next closest thing in my opinion. And then say a video series. So I've actually done all three. Uh, Just like life, a handshake or a hug, I think in-person training has dynamics to it. So when you're getting monitored live and you feel those horrible nerves, Sitting across from a remote viewing expert, you don't want to fail. You know, blah blah blah. Um, the little <clears throat> side conversations, dynamics. So I'm a strong advocate of in person. Now I have monitored and been working with some people online, and it's very effective. Um, with share screen and uh, these different things, you you can achieve an awful lot. Now, when I was done with Ed Dames' in-person training, I got his DVDs for his master's uh, tips. And I learned a hell of a lot just from the uh, DVDs. And then Paul Smith has a DVD set that I bought for my girlfriend and for our housemate and my brother. And they did amazing. Um, Now, I gave them a little bit of assistance because the DVD set is – a six day course condensed into roughly four hours. And I had taken the six day course. So I gave them little bits and pieces or I gave them more stage one targets. So I've found all of those methods very, very useful. But if you can afford it, or if you're in a situation to travel or you have an instructor that's offering live, you know, I wouldn't miss that opportunity. But if you can't do it online or DVD, is, is a good way. I would recommend like Daz does with his students, one of which is here now, um, mentoring is kind of important. Um, and so I presume Daz is doing that online mostly when he mentors his students. So some mentoring, it does, it does help. And that kind of mentoring can be done over Zoom. So whatever your interest is now and wherever you wanna go, I can I can tell you if you're self determined and you're interested, and you find your path, follow it, stick with it, because it really is a very rewarding journey.
9: Okay, uh, I, I suppose I was kind of interested in the You talked some time ago about the intensity of when you were doing, I think, your training with Paul, and that it. I like I don't know how you would replicate that over a, you know, a Zoom call or a Skype call. That you would be there with like for hours yes, with a trainer on Skype, I, I You don't. really
0: can't replicate that. Like I say, there's so many subtle, you, you know, you go to a nice professional office, you've got a nice classroom, you've got audio visual, you get to do a Skype communication with Hal Putoff, ask yeah. some live questions, um, just driving to lunch. But people have questions that are kind of outside of the class, you have somebody keep track of those questions and then you go to lunch. And you t- and you t- discuss those questions freely amongst the group, but I'm sure it's the same. I'm you know I've never uh, the only other person I took live with was at Dames, um, and that was only two days and not quite as intense. But I imagine when you take uh, other in-person classes from people, they're, they're going to have that same dynamic. So yeah, that. But that's you know I love like basic training in the military, fire academy at the fire department. I love that intense stuff that tries to break you. And then you come out of it better than you went in. I'm, pro- you know, I'm inclined towards that just by nature, but no, a lot of good mentoring, a lot of good uh, monitoring can happen online. So, so, so just, you know, take what works for you situation wise and, and s- pursue your goals. You'll, you'll find this, you'll
3: find it very worthwhile. Okay. And, and I would say this, Matt, I have the perspective from being a student. So I've always wanted to uh, train under Lynn Buchanan uh, for like the last decade plus, but it's it's an expensive course. And I would have to not only pay for the course, but travel from the Midwest to uh, New Mexico, uh, have the hotel, all this. It was um, an experience behind a paywall and do i think is very expensive yes do i think it's overpriced no uh, i think it's fairly priced um but it's not for me so um i guess one selfishly silver lining of the pandemic is that i feel it opened up a lot more online classwork and maybe dropped the price a little bit uh, because you were kind of being hurt because it wasn't a live session And because of that, I was able to get into remote viewing. And so, yeah, maybe I have a 60% um, maybe I obtained 60% of the experience I could have had, had I done the exact same course live. But that was enough to get me going, enough to uh, uh, figure out that I want to pursue it. Uh, So I think from that aspect, I think it's been great.
2: I guess I'd like to add one other thing. And that is, I did try to learn uh, remote viewing from the free materials that were on the internet. This was like about five years ago. And I was totally confused. And that to me meant something wasn't connecting. And uh, I went for uh, an online training session. Um, It was a Uh, multi-day sort of a thing, that clarified the confusion, that cleared the the fog. And you need to be there. You need to be at that that place where there's some clarity going on. If you're feeling you're reading a bunch of things uh, online, um, stuff on YouTube or whatever, and you feel confused, I'm just saying that's how I resolve that issue. Worked for me.
9: Uh, one more, if I may. It'll be quick again. Um, I, I was interested in the uh, of thoughts of three um, D, I suppose. About well, specifically, there's a question earlier about the future of this or where things are going. Or um, I do a lot of work in three D modeling, um, architectural visualization, and things like this. And the technology, I think, is accelerating in that field. Um, specifically using game engines, virtual reality, and things like this, to the extent that you can actually now do you know, sketching in um, a virtual reality environment, right, or create an environment and put it online, and someone can put goggles on, for example, and they can stand in something that you've created. So my question, I suppose, is, do you think that that kind of technology could be implemented into remote viewing in the future? That, for example, I don't know, if you did let's say, a moon target, for example, right? And you were able to create that environment. Or if you were to put out a target to a lot of different people, so you got a lot of feedback, a, a lot of what people were seeing, you could then create that environment and show what exactly they, the remote viewer saw, or a historical target. Or do you think that the amount of data that would be needed to create something like that would maybe dilute the process, that the actual kind of paper feedback is more honest
1: Uh, this is a subject that I've talked about in in the past. I think that we're only one step away from uh VR RVing as it is, you know, because I've played around with VR headsets, the uh the Oculus Rift ones, for example, and the uh world creation on it is just, just fantastic. Um, the only problem I see in that is that uh using the VR headsets for for the period of a remote viewing session, which is usually 45 minutes to an hour ish, would be quite taxing on the on the eyes kind of situation. Um but yeah, I think that's definitely the next step. Like just like we're we're a half step now, whereas myself and many other people are moving remote viewers onto using tablets for doing their remote viewing sessions rather than pen and paper. Because you know with a tablet you've got airbrushes 3d tours, you know cut and paste and all all that kind of functionality um so yeah it's definitely the next step it's just whether the interfaces will be uh usable enough for people to use i think they're a bit primitive right now i think uh yeah i think we're definitely getting there and it'd be great you know as a remote viewer to 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 world create in real time what i'm experiencing through through my senses you know and you'd be able but i think you could probably do it maybe not in vr as well you could probably do it with uh maybe voice associations you know so you could be sat in front of a pc and say okay i'm visualizing a, a desert like landscape and you know the software would pick up the words desert like and it would create a landscape for you and then you would be able to say okay i feel that there's a structure here it feels like it's on four levels and then the software would create a structure with four levels to it you know and you say it feels like it's stone and it would automatically put stone in there for you I think I think we could probably do it that way as well. So you did probably definitely you probably wouldn't need VR for it. You could find many other applications for doing it. But yeah, I think it's I, de- I definitely think it's the next step.
9: But do you not think that like doing it that way with voice associated uh, feedback would maybe be difficult? Because let's say you've got you know, um, uh, or if you've just got the, the initial Gestalt and you're saying all these words, right? And How would the software kind of pick up on? Uh, something if you're in the initial stages. What I was kind of saying was that, for example, if you are sketching out like an, like an architectural design-based concept, right? you mm-hmm. start normally with sketch on a piece of paper, and then you take those sketches, and then you create like a 3D model or environment from it. But the, the issue is, because I'm kind of new to this, is I don't know if once you finish the session, that if you've got like the raw data on the sheets, um, if you can then say, well, I'm going to revisit this, and I'm going to build what was taken from that, if it's not like, well, we've got all this data from the sheets and therefore we're going to create this environment. Let's say, I don't know, let's say we did a target on Antarctica or Egypt or something. And I was then to look back at historical references and think, OK, well, they got all this and then I will build it from what the historical references would say. If then it would be like my imagination is coming into it too much and it's not the authentic kind of data, like feedback data, because I think it would be like amazing to be able to put someone in a type of environment that you've, that, you know, you've, be, you've been into. But I don't know if it would take, if, if by doing so, it would be um, saying that I'm essentially using too much of my, well, uh, it's not raw enough to, to, to say that this is like genuine.
1: I think the data would be more accurate from VR created data than it would from paper on, uh, pen and pen, pencil kind of paper data. Because you know, I you know, I've been in those in those virtual worlds, so I'd be able to literally, you know, with a sweep of my arms, say, okay, you know, I'm in a i am in I feel like I'm in a landscape, you know, five miles of five miles of desert, and there's a river here, and you know, I'd be able to draw a river, and the river be there in 3D, you immerse yourself in it. Um, I think that'd be way more better for remote viewing because trying to record 3D and dimensional data. Where you have no orientation in in time and space, you know when your subconscious is doing this onto paper would be is way harder than it would be in in a three D world where you you're almost simulating your uh, your subconscious uh, having no no location in time and space in in the three D environment. It's it, for me it's almost a perfect mirror for for remote viewing data.
6: There's actually an episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation where the crew has been secretly been abducted while they're asleep. And then they're trying to remember what's happened to them. And they go into the holodeck and they use the holodeck as a 3D environment to recreate what must have been happening to them. And they use verbal cues to try to say, no, 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 it was more like this or it was more like that. Uh, it's season six, episode five. The title is Schisms in case you're interested in looking at that as a possible (laughs) application of what you're talking about.
3: Good job whipping that out, Jimmy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I
2: I also uh, have
6: a Star Trek podcast.
2: (laughs) I have the Quest 2 um, Oculus headset, which is... um, it's completely portable you don't need wires connected to a computer or anything yeah
1: that's that's what i use yeah yeah
2: and uh uh that tilt brush program where you can paint in the air you paint surfaces in the air and whatever uh, it's amazing um walk around what you're you're drawing uh, it's, uh, it's it's just amazing i have not used that in remote viewing session but after listening to Des, i'm tempted to try that because uh Yeah, it's it's just a fantastic thing. The other program is, um, and this one is free. Tilt Brush is like 19.95, but Gravity Sketch is a 3D modeler with NURB surfaces. And uh, you know, if you're a 3D modeler, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you can uh, um, you can uh, create cuts into your geometry and add new triangles and all sorts of stuff. Pull, push, and pull points. Uh, I'm spending like a half an hour a day on this thing because i'm fascinated with just dealing in in this space and learning how to use these triggers to pick up things turn them move them around and whatever just fantastic so um quest two love it yeah
1: and there's also a it's not so hardcore but all augmented reality you know which you can do with pretty much any kind of Tablet or mobile phone and stuff. I would have thought that would be a another half step for for remote viewing to move into as well. Model world, worlds in you know augmented reality, and it's great. You know, you'd be able to give someone then a three D kind of walk around of your RV data rather than a two D pencil sketch. It was is that it, Matt. Was there was there any more?
9: I Other people have got their hands up, so <laughs> uh,
1: not always come back
9: okay
1: great bill you've had your hand up for a long time as well would you like to ask your question or your comment
11: just a comment uh being a lay person um i mean i'm not a trained artist i mean i think my art teacher told me i was going to go to the penitentiary when i grew up in high school but anyway do you find having to draw this stuff kind of throws you off session i mean you know you're trying to Concentrate on drawing that what you're seeing in the RV data. Does that, I mean, if you're having a struggle with that, it seems like that might interrupt the process a little bit. I guess it'd be a question to you to ask.
1: Um, so you're having problems with, with your sketching?
11: No, I'm, I'm saying like not so much. Do you find that, you know, trying to sketch an accurate picture or something, you're focusing so much on that. That might be interrupting the RV session. Is that is that a problem? I'm asking as a lay person.
1: I'm just trying to think um, how I work. Um, I don't. Yeah, when I'm sketching, I don't seem to have to um, concentrate or anything because it, it's it's for me. It's a, it just the sketches just kind of flow without me even thinking about them. Really, half the okay. time the pen the the pen kind of moves on its. On its own, and I don't really, I don't really have my, no conscious action in what I'm doing ninety percent of the time. You know, I okay. don't have an image in my head that I'm trying to recreate on paper. It's literally just creating itself as, as it as it comes out. Okay, I'm just saying some of us who have very limited artistic abilities might find that
11: hard to do. Just all, yeah. but uh,
1: yeah. I, I, it's hard for me to comment on this because you know I for some reason i always have been a, a, a graphic designer artist and drawing okay. and stuff like that comes comes naturally to me so it's yeah um but you know there there is that great book uh drawing on the right hand side of the brain i think that that's helped huge amounts of people develop their uh their drawing skills i'm not making out of
11: that drawing yeah. on the right side okay
1: yeah i can't remember who the author is of it but it, i have a copy of it it's pretty fantastic it's, there were some it's really many inter- edwards yeah, that's it bettio yeah and there were really well, interesting inter- exercises where you do drawings upside down um, and stuff and it gives you a different perspective on it, And i love that that was that was fantastic um
3: bill and if it helps at all bill i um, i feel like i'm a really good drawer in in real life uh and i'm terrible like I I cannot sketch for the life of me yet when <laughs> doing a remote viewing session. Uh it hasn't benefited me. And I think maybe even being what I consider a good drawer, I think that might hurt it. Uh, my remote viewing session because I'm being too critical of myself. <laughs> because I'm like, what is this? Uh so I, I think it's a double-edged sword at times.
2: Uh Rich, I'd just like to comment on that and something that I am picking up just recently is uh if you get a perception that something is a curve don't try to build a building about that put the curve down there just the curve if you get yeah. you know a, a a needle point just put that don't try to make anything out of it i'm starting to realize you know i get these like little snapshots of something and i kept trying to do something with it really I just now I just want to get those accurately down on the piece of paper and that's it. So um, it's sort of like another step toward being honest with myself, if that makes sense.
3: Oh, for sure. Thanks, Don.
0: Bill, regarding Betty Edwards, um, Amazon has, uh, you want to get the fourth edition, which is the latest, and then the second edition of her workbook, Get both and do the workbook. I went through all of that, and I'm not a, a great sketcher, but it just, like Daz said, you, you, you try to draw something upside down, and it really gets your uh, right brain, you know, I guess developed is, is that. So it's just called, uh, you know, Betty Edwards, Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain, the Book and the Workbook. Okay, and- and you go through that. Now, what I'm going to do here in a minute is I'm going to, Are you're a member of Paul's group, right?
11: No, I don't believe that I am. I think this is the only one.
0: No, I mean, are you a member of remote viewing, remote perception on Facebook or because I no, see you post. I don't I
11: just, believe I am. I'll have to check that, Russell. I don't. I think I'm okay, only. Well, I'll,
0: I'll check, but I've seen you post somewhere. So you're either in Daz's or Paul's. So I'll figure out which group you're in, wow. and then I'm going to make a post and tag you in it. And it will be a full explanation from Ingo's autobiography as to how and why sketching came into remote viewing. And I think it'll answer your question. Okay. Okay. So and I'll going uh, that
11: post and tag you. I was going to say, um, not quite as nice a place. I'm coming to y'all from Peggy's Palace, my room here in Greensboro, and I, it's kind of a dump. I apologize for that. Anyway, uh, where is where is it? You normally come from? That stained glass is awesome. That's where I worked down in Archdale. That today uh, I would have been down there today, but I have had to work a page out last night. We have been really busy. In fact, I had to work an issue, not too big of one, earlier when the session started. So I worked from home today. This is what, a, what is Archdale I'm moving out of here, but pretty soon. What is Arch? What is Archdale? That's a suburb, or, or actually a smaller town, south of Greensboro, and eighty-five towards Charlotte. Hmm. Just curious. So, yeah, just it's, it's nothing—not a big place. But anyway, I don't know. I'm just saying, this place—we look at it, and go, man, this place it's like a kind of a dumpish-looking place, and it kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, back more on a serious point that someone mentioned earlier, lady, about using remote viewing to further historical analysis and everything. Only one problem I can see with that is you've seen um, cases of more current historians. David Irving, the English uh, historian David Irving comes to mind, has put quite a bit of research into World War II, and he's been pillared for doing so, because a lot of the, you know, that, like they say, the victors write history, and you come up with something that's not quite in line with what the general consensus is that can get you into trouble. It's not, well, if if you come up with some information that challenges the accepted, how it was, how it is, uh, there can be repercussions. Just wanted to mention that. I like the idea, but you, some people that don't want the status quo question, let's say, and then, There's
2: there's some people that have invested their careers in their viewpoint, and they don't want somebody like barking up the wrong tree. Uh, I so get that. And, and, you know, this business about um, remote viewing imaginary targets with so many conflicting viewpoints, um, I actually wonder whether remote viewing can perceive the truth in uh, distant past um, historical events if there's like overlaid theories on top of theories and, you know, someone mentioned uh, uh, Caesar's uh, assassination. Mm -hmm. Um, I even, somebody on YouTube suggested that he he knew that he was going to be assassinated and he didn't mind because he had some disease and he just thought it would be a good idea to end it.
11: It's all possible. Uh, One thing I would say about this group, attending these Zoom sessions I really enjoyed them. Yeah, it's not as nice for all in one room, but there's no way to do that. Uh, but the takeaway I get away from it would be I'm an engineer by training and I'm willing to change my beliefs. I'm not, I mean, I there's core things you believe in how to treat people. Those things don't get questioned, really. But if information comes out that shows that what you thought was not true, you need to reevaluate your position. And I think people on this group are, well, are willing to do that. And it could be, hey, it's an innocent thing. We got more information now. It proves what I used to think was wrong. But if you really believe what you thinks is the truth, you shouldn't be worried about questioning it because it should survive that questioning. That would be kind of final point on that.
1: Thanks, Bill. I'll and start. someone else had their hand up for a long time as well. It's Paul. Paul Cosby, you're next. And thank you for waiting.
12: Uh, yeah hi des Um uh, it's it's getting kind of late uh, i don't know whether this is a you know maybe should wait till till another week uh, I, I had a topic on how to minimize uh telepathic overlay when doing a project how to keep minimize or, or eliminate so i don't know if you want to talk about that now or some other time
1: no we can we can give it a, a little go now um it's it's a hard one, isn't it? I mean, there's so many different instances of it and, and how it can creep into RV. And, you know, it, it kind of ties on to what we were discussing earlier with uh, remote viewing targets that aren't real. Um, I don't know how, you, you know, I mean, minimizing it for yourself, you know, is, you know, have total belief in yourself. Uh, you're the one in control of the RV and what you're doing and stuff. I don't know how much that has a, has a real-world effect, Um the only real constituting factor to what everything in within this remote viewing is, is feedback. You know, you know, by proper solid feedback that what you're, uh, what you're giving data wise is either correct or incorrect. Um, and, you know, that's why we're seeing possibilities of so much telepathic overlay and imaginative targets out there in the RV world at the moment is because, And all the targets being done at the moment or projects being done are targets that don't have enough feedback to validate the information. Yeah. Well, you know, we've
12: given probably four, I can probably come up with another four examples of telepathic overlay in the last week or two. Um, And uh, I'll give you an example of uh, the concern I have. Let's say that you are doing research on a buried treasure and uh, you've, you've done a lot of technical historical research and you've, you figure that there is a buried treasure at site X. So you wanna have a project manager recruit a team of five remote viewers to do uh, stage six uh, uh, on a map to, to verify that you've got the right location. <coughs> The problem is that you have an expectation that the site's going to be at a certain place. Now, your project manager may or may not want to know what you're thinking because they they want to make sure that it's ethically correct to take the project. Let's say that they, they insist on knowing. So now they are knowing what the project is looking for yeah. and that can easily telepathically be relayed to the viewers or even if they don't even if you're the one that knows and the manager doesn't know yeah. I still can imagine that that will get communicated to the viewers even though you don't know even know who the viewers are there there's no limits that way so yeah. the question is how do you design a project that doesn't have any chance at all of telepathic overlay and i'm sorry those are my parrots in the background uh
1: i don't uh i don't think it is possible the only determining factor is going to that location in uh or the location that you think it's at and the location the viewers come back with and digging it up and confirming by feedback of whether there's treasure there or not because we don't know we still don't know how remote viewing works we know that telepathy must be in play in some way because remote viewers always work blind. So there's a tasker over here that set a target, and there's a communication route between that tasker, which is invisible, and the remote viewers. And the I mean, the most probable way is through some kind of form of telepathic or other type of communication. So we know it, it involves in it. It's a, a part of the process in RV. Um, I just don't know. I don't know any way uh, to, to stop it other than confirmation refeedback.
11: A question on that, fellas. I don't mean to interrupt here, but the tasker is going to know what the target is. I mean, so he's not going to be blind to it. So, if somebody mm-hmm. came into a project manager and say, "Hey, I'm interested in finding this." Would you know? Then I guess they would go work with the, the tasker to design what the target would be, right? Yep. So that person really wouldn't be blind. I know mean, that the reviewers would be, but the, the person... Sometimes blinded. the
1: project manager can be blind as well, the, the in-between. Um, but still, I don't think that matters because everyone is like uh, everything to do with uh, quantum world experiments. Everyone involved in the experiment is entangled in the experiment. It doesn't matter if you're one step away, you're still entangled. Because just because the tasker is here and you've got a project manager here and the project manager doesn't know what the target is and targets in you over here. So there's three people in the chain because we're talking remote viewing and time and space doesn't exist for this. You might not know now, but the information can flow forward and backwards through time. So, you know, the information you're actually getting on the target might be from the future when all those people are connected, when they all know. It's it's a huge conundrum. Uh, as I said, the only the only way we can sort this is is through through feedback.
6: Hypothetically, one could uh, have a tasker be a random number generator, where a computer picks the targets out of some massive database, so no human actually knows the target. That might cut down on the issue, but it still wouldn't completely eliminate it because. You could have retrocausation, or you yeah. could have some kind of connection with the computer, yeah. but it at least would cut out obvious human telepathy.
1: It might be possible to do that, but it might make it. It might make the process less accurate if there isn't telepathy involved. We don't know. That. We don't know. And,
6: and, and that would be an interesting test to run to see: does a yeah. human need to know, or could yeah. it just be something a computer picks out of the
1: phone book? The problem we have is, as as we just discussed, at the time of doing the RV. Uh, there might not be a human interface, but reviewing and analyzing all the information afterwards and at any time in the future, right? There, there's an interface happening. And as a remote viewer, we might just be tapping six years into the future and getting the information.
6: Yeah, it wouldn't eliminate retrocausation, but it would yeah. answer an interesting question about does a human in the present need to know?
1: Yes, yes.
12: Well, I think there's also the possibility that if you, you know, if you can't eliminate telepathic overlay and you're saying that the only way you know you're accurate is if you found the treasure uh, where, where you, where, where you or the remote viewers think it should be.
1: Or Uh, if you don't find the treasure, because maybe,
12: maybe there's another way, maybe you could during, during the feedback from the viewers, they come up with information that you didn't expect that, Ultimately, is verifiable from your research. I mean, so it's sort of like Ingo. You know, he's asked to look at Jupiter, and he comes up with rings, which you know. So that that would be something that uh, yep. would be an unexpected finding. So that wouldn't be telepathic overlay because no one was thinking about it ahead of time.
1: Yes. Yeah. But that's but that's but that's what as you said, it's comf- it's confirmed by feedback.
12: Yeah, the other the other issue I have is that apparently I'm I'm no expert on this, but uh, stage nine from Ingo at some at some point along the process was uh, telepathic overlay, and I I don't quite understand what that referred to because we're seeing telepathic overlay already in just the you know the lowest levels of of uh, CRV with between the tasker and the uh, viewers so i i don't know what the stage nine refers to uh
1: you mean the 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 hypothetical kind of s- stages that he was allegedly working on and stuff yeah i've, I've seen it listed but i, I don't uh, i think if if he developed that any further it would have been just some kind of two-way communication uh uh with with probably not with the tasker but with Life forums at target sites. I would have thought to get information from tar- uh, people and life forums at target sites. Yeah, so act active.
7: Can I um, interject something on this topic of discernment? We're talking about whether you can discern what's true, right? Like if you can tell that you're on the target, that it's a real target. You're talking about the discernment of truth, right? So I wonder if any of you are aware, like, are you aware that there is a spiritual gift of discernment? Like, I mean, I don't know if this is just a cultural thing, but when I look at the spiritual gifts, you know, that uh, are talked about in the Bible, and I know you guys don't all believe in the Bible, but I'm just talking about spiritual gifts. And this is a source for a list of spiritual gifts. That's all I'm talking about yeah. And I mean, if you believe in spiritual gifting, which I think you do, because a lot of you are gifted, um, there's a gift in the New Testament called the gift of discernment. And we never talked about it in church because nobody wants anyone to have this gift of discernment because what that is is the ability to tell what's true and what isn't. And no one really believes that that's a real gift, I guess. but. I do, and um, I've been experimenting with it myself. And I just wondered if anyone was aware of it, that there may be a source or a kind of spiritual uh, ability that can be tapped into, which is, I believe that's what the New Testament is teaching, that this spiritual gift is available and can be accessed to help you discern what the truth is why wouldn't you try to do that? And that's what I've been doing. I've been trying to do that. And I find, I find it's very interesting in my experience. So we can talk more about that. I don't want to go on and on. But I do find that I think there really is a gift of discernment. And no one wants to talk about it. Because it does sound a little bit arrogant, you know, to say, well, I know the truth because I've discerned it. But I've studied math. And there's a guy named Kurt Gödel, And he has a theorem called the incompleteness theorem which basically says that all of mathematics is inconsistent and there is no source of truth in any logical system whatsoever. So your only source of truth is your intuition. And I think this gift of discernment is a a stroke of brilliant genius that, yes, we do have access to truth. It's not through mathematics or logic. It's through intuition and spirit. So I just want to throw that in there into the mix that, you know, there is possibly a way that you can discern the truth. No one wants to talk about it. The church definitely doesn't want to talk about it. But um, I'm just going to throw that out there, see what you guys say to that.
6: Well, I could address that. Um, You know, there are different perspectives on spiritual gifts. Uh, Obviously, for people who may not be familiar with this is a subject that's talked about in some of St. Paul's letters, particularly Romans and first Corinthians, where he says that the Holy spirit endows individual Christians with abilities. Some exactly. of them are, yeah, some of them are na- are elevated natural abilities, like a, a, a knack for teaching. Um, yeah. Another yeah. Others,
7: are, teaching, yeah. Yeah.
6: others are more preternatural like prophecy um, it's kind what of uncertain.
7: Like mm-hmm.
6: It's kind of uncertain where uh, there could be different interpretations of what the gift of discernment is. The way Saint Paul refers to it is discernment of spirits, and one way of reading that would be that it's uh, the ability to determine whether a spirit that's talking through a prophet is a good spirit or not. You know, is it an angel that's or a demon? Yeah, right,
7: it's telling <laughs> the truth exactly. Well, and and, so let me just, say, yeah. just give you an example of discernment that I came up with from us uh, making the translation of the New Testament. And there's this really interesting story where Jesus is walking along in a crowd and he's being, he's being mocked. Like people are touching him and grabbing him. And, and this woman comes up behind and she is like down low on the ground. And she takes it and she touches the hem of his garment. She's thinking, if only I can touch, I'll be healed healed. And the interesting thing is, when he touches his garment, he feels power go out from him. And he says, who touched me? And the disciples are all looking at each other like, everybody's touching you. There's a hundred people here. What are you talking about? He touched me. So he felt this woman and her face, or whatever it was, when she touched that hem of his garment. She didn't even touch his body. So what was that? I said to myself, and it's discernment. He has discerned something. Not, he didn't feel it. It didn't come through any physical means. That was a a discernment. He does the same thing when he reads Simon's mind at the banquet, when Simon says to himself, why is Jesus letting this woman touch him? The woman's anointing him with oil. And Jesus discerns what he's thinking, and he speaks to him directly without having to ask. So there is this gift of discernment and it's demonstrated. Jesus demonstrates it, I believe. But yeah, people do debate what exactly it is, but I do think it's an ability from a distance to understand the truth about a situation. So right. that
6: so, 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 so speaking from a from a faith perspective, one would say that there are many different types of D- the ability to discern the truth that humans have that and that ultimately all come from god some of them are the natural our natural abilities to discern the truth like our physical senses you know we can see is it raining outside no, no,
7: or not about the um, I mean, so, hang on hang on sorry
6: sorry let, let me finish there are others that it, our rational mind is also an ability to discern the truth. There may be spiritual gifts for discerning the truth.
7: Yeah, there but we don't think that the mind is good enough for RV. That doesn't help us discern anything. We need the special gift of okay. discernment. That's why I'm bringing yeah. it up.
6: Okay. There are, okay, so my point, if I can make it, is that there are a lot of different types of discernment. Some of them may be natural, some of them may be preternatural, including psychic abilities or spiritual gifts, which would be different things potentially. Um, but we shouldn't, we should be careful because there are all of these different types. We shouldn't lump them under a single thing and call it discernment. We should look at the subtypes and say, well, how can we best well, use
7: this thing. particular I mean, version? Types, right? And that's, that's all what I wanted I say. to say. And I outlined it, and I said, um, I'm talking about a certain specific spiritual gift that has a certain specific category, and yes. um, Now, in terms of discernment, though, I would say, like, any discernment of the truth sort of falls under the category of discernment of the truth, whether it's...
6: El. if you want to use the word discernment to refer to a preternatural ability to detect the truth, that's a fair use of the word discernment. It's just not the only one. And it may or may not be what's at play in a given biblical passage.
7: I don't necessarily use the word preternatural. I call it the Holy Spirit. It's a spirit. It's a consciousness. So the spirit is conscious of the truth. And somehow you are conscious of what the spirit is conscious of. And that is something I have a theory for. I've been working on for years. On the interface between the human mind and spirit things, things that consist of, well, vibrations, resonance, things like that, with, that, which contain conscious knowledge and truth. And it seems to me that I discovered in in this little esoteric little book from you know 2,000 years ago that there's an actual reservoir that I can tap into for discernment like I don't have to figure it out I can ask the spirit it just seems a lot easier to me but you know and I find it really it really works for me but everybody has their own ways so I'm just sharing this in case someone can leave pleased with it. You I know? think a way
10: of referring to discernment which doesn't look through the lens of the New Testament is to call it a bullshit detector. And again, that can work through your intellect, your senses, or uh, your, I don't know, non-physical ESP, spiritual perception, whatever you like. I did a session last week, which I called Bullshit On, Um, um I don't think there are stargates on Mars intellectually. And I thought my session was very suspect because there's a lot of weird nonsense out there in woo-woo land and occasionally you tap into it and it is important to be able to recognize when it's bullshit. Um, Because if you don't, it will string you along and you'll end up believing the stories and building stories on stories. I think we've spoken about that earlier. But
7: well, I don't know if I'd agree that a bullshit detector is the same as the discernment of truth. Well, what's the difference? And the other is a positive affirmation. It's a whole different approach, really, to the because When well, you hear
10: something, you know whether it's true
7: or not. Well,
10: couldn't you, so, any-
7: you know, In some cases, there may be ways of confirming it spiritually that isn't just knowing. Maybe there's a synchronicity. You know, there are, it's a bit of a landscape. Now, if you want to really start getting into how the spirit brings about that discernment, and that's the journey, and that's the real fun part that nobody seems to want to explore. (laughs) They want to know everything without, you know, without playing around and actually, you know, trial and error. Is that helpful
10: from the point of view of verifying remote viewing data? Whether whether you get it by asking the spirit or by knowing which presumably would also be via the spirit that one knows. It's just the the language that you're speaking to get the answer, right?
7: Well, I think the knowledge is all the same, whether it's from the spirit or not. Like, I do believe that you can remote view and you can ascertain truth without the Holy Spirit. That's the really fascinating thing, that truth is there, but it's just whether you know it or not, you know, you can actually ask a conscious entity that is identified and has been outlined and characterized for a long, long time. Um there's a lot of information on it. And it's um it's a resource is all I'm saying. And I'm just putting it out there. My my uh earphones and batteries going so um that's, I just think that this information is there and it's accessible and there may be some way of accessing it that is easier than just trying to guess.
11: So. That brings up a question though. Let's say you've got somebody and no one in this group I feel this way is really just kind of a basically not a good guy. I mean that you know they do bad things to people. I wonder how that would impact them as a remote viewer. Plus I know one of the things that Courtney and Farsight did, they looked at some of the posts to see if they're being influenced. And I don't know this would be possible, but could you have it or ETs could possibly impact what the remote viewer data got on the cesteric targets. In other words, they may be Giving you results that may or may not be true. Maybe
8: they're mistaken. yeah. You
13: have to discern with the aliens too, and this is something I've been really thinking about because I don't think aliens are telling the truth, and people don't know how to figure out whether they're telling the truth or not. And I think this gift of discernment might be helpful. So that's well, what I think I'm we should maybe
10: start out figuring out whether they're aliens or not.
11: But how would you know? In other words, if it's some target. I don't know. But we've already come
10: <laughs> to the conclusion that they're aliens and they're ETs. That's, you know, there's all sorts of weird stuff out there that might look like what we conceptualize as aliens or ETs. We have no idea what it is. It tells lots of good stories. I'll tell you that much.
11: But the thing would be, I think it goes back to what Daz stressed. If you say remote viewers work on targets, there's very little feedback. It would be a lot easier for these Aliens, if they're malevolence, let's say, maybe they're not, but to
13: mislead
11: people, to give you Mm. false information. And and you might not know it because you can't confirm
10: it. Absolutely. Anyway, I'll... this
13: is what I'm saying, and I'm saying I think the Holy Spirit might be an interesting test to see if you can. And, like, I've been watching uh, Farsight, and I've been watching them talk with the Federation and all these aliens. And in some cases, it seems to me when I apply my discernment, that the aliens are kind of playing with them. And I I love them. I think they're amazing, the Farsight people. I think they're incredibly talented. And, but I do think the aliens might be playing with them a little bit. And I, part of it is this lack of discernment and the trial and error that they're using to approach the aliens in their um, approach is also showing a possible lack of discernment. And I just think if they tried to use the gift of discernment, how might that, would that change anything? It wouldn't be very
10: good for the bottom line if they did, because UFOs and aliens sell subscriptions (laughs) like nobody's business. But how do we know they're not using the gift of
1: discernment?
13: Well, that's true. I don't know. That's for sure. Haven't they asked them?
1: Maybe we're all using it, but we don't know we're
10: using it.
13: Could be. Um, that's a good oh, question too.
10: I use it. I call it a bullshit detector. That's why I don't subscribe to Farsight Prime. <laughs>
13: <laughs> they are they're amazing. I just I love their courage and and chutzpah and what they're doing. It's adventurous and fun in a world that's not adventurous and fun right now. So <laughs>
1: I think they wear nice jackets. <laughs> okay. Uh, Matt, you still have your hand up. Is is that another question you want to ask?
9: Well, actually... Uh, that might be a mistake. Sorry. Um, uh, well, now that I'm on the mic... Um, uh <laughs> um, a few sessions ago when lynn was in this group um someone asked him a question about uh you know the future and things like this um and you know he he, he gave his like you know uh, an answer that he didn't want to give or says he doesn't like talking about it but you said also um that you at the crypto viewing team um additionally courtney and uh, co and one other group um have also been looking at like you know future projections and stuff but you specifically said your sessions felt like they've been hijacked um i was just wondering what does what what did you mean by that like was it you weren't getting any feedback or that, that it felt like there was something um specifically saying like you don't want to go here or um Am I allowed to ask such a question?
1: No, of course you can ask. I'm just trying to uh, remember back in, because uh, bear in mind the sessions go, go back a year or two and I do a lot of RV. I'm just trying to remember. Um, I felt like the, the targets were one thing, um, but the data we were getting back collectively was describing events that wasn't, part of the target but maybe important to people in the future that's why it felt a little bit hijacked so we weren't actually describing the targets but collectively as a group we were all describing what seemed to be similar uh, events that were uh, of a a catastrophic type nature Um, but yes that's why it felt a little bit hijacked almost as though the process or something was showing us something else other than the actual target. Yeah,
9: that was it.
1: Thanks. Okay. Has anyone else got any burning questions? Cause we nearly going on for three hours here and maybe it'd be good time to close soonish. Any last questions or are you all okay for- Seems like you're all okay. Well, thank you, everyone, for the participation. Fantastic discussion tonight with some really great uh, questions and answers there. Really informative mm-hmm. stuff. <clears throat> Excellent. So we'll leave it there then. I hope you all have a good weekend and we'll see what happens next week. I'm going to see if I can get out of David Oates. So I'm also talking. Uh, i got a couple of other people I'm talking to and I'm trying to get hold of J- Joe again because I think he's feeling a little bit better now. So we'll see how things develop over the next couple of weeks for some for some guesting for us. Nice little job, Dez. Yeah, it was great chatting to you again. Uh, so have a Cheers, weekend. everybody. And I'll see you all soon. So take care. Good night, everybody. everybody. Bye.
12: Thanks,
10: Dez.
3: Thanks for listening to The Signal Line, a remote viewing podcast. Don't forget to check out remoteviewed.com for remote viewing resources
6: or our videos on YouTube under Remote Viewed.